Um, so I have a picture of my family. Yeah, there's my family right there. There's my wife, Jessica, and baby Bethany. You can see her. And uh, she is 10 months old. Um, we've just become, uh, just become parents. So it's been spectacular. I highly recommend uh, getting married, and I highly recommend having kids. So uh, we got a picture of our Chi Alpha on the screen as well. And there's us. We are, uh, I'm the, the director at um, the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, or UTRGV, which is a lot of letters. And we love it there, man. Um, we meet in our, our science auditorium, and we do Booth. So you see, like, the picture of Booth, so you may be very familiar with that. But tonight, I am interested in just diving into the Word tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you turn, if you have them, I will have it on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 3. And I'll just... I think I'll just begin this way. I've learned this to be true. Everyone in this room one day will die. Yes? It will. It's a fact of life. It's going to happen. It's a part of every single thing, every person's life, and everyone will eventually die. But I love the gospel of Jesus, don't you? Because what we learn in the gospels is that you can experience a death before you die. And that's what the root of the gospel and the root of this is all about. Anyone in here experience a near-death experience? Anybody? A near-death experience? Okay, right on. Right, anyone? This is like you get, you're getting an award if that's you. So, so, so thank you for being reckless. That's awesome. Um, we're a lot alike. Uh, so we, uh, Charles and I had a friend back in college. His name was Keith. And um, there was this awful accident in, a, in an apartment. And um, he, he, we're like in Texas, we're like a bunch of gun guys. I don't know if, if that's totally what you guys are like here. I'm getting some nods. So yes, we are, we're a gun-wielding nation. Amen. Um, and so uh, our buddies, they're, they're, we're gun guys, and he's sitting on the couch, and his, his friend is uh, um, cleaning his gun, and he makes a very bad mistake. He does not clear the chamber well enough. And our friend Keith gets shot. A real bullet goes out of the gun. The guy accidentally pulls the trigger, and he gets, sh he gets shot. So Keith is sitting down, and it's actually pretty miraculous. The bullet travels, and his hands are kind of folded, and he's leaning over on the couch, and the bullet travels through his fingers and his hand, and his punk is like several different puncture wounds in his hands and his fingers, and then it goes through his bicep and out the back of his arm. They rush him to the emergency room, and he ends up being okay. He had like a gnarly reconstruction in his hand, so he ended up being okay. Once he got out, we realized that that um, he actually became dangerously close to winning the Guinness Book of World Records of how many puncture wounds by one bullet. He like he like matched the world record, and and he told and we told him that, and we're like, man, dude, we're so so sorry, you missed it by that much. <laughs> like better luck next time, I guess. So Keith had a near-death experience. Have you ever looked up uh, deathbed 
uh, statements, like the final statements that people make on their deathbeds. It's pretty incredible if you look it up. Um, I'll, I'll just quote a few. Um, uh, some of these famous uh, texts and, and last words before these people die. They're, some of these are famous. A lot of these are, these are atheists, and they're crying out from their deathbeds. So Caesar Borgia says this on his deathbed. These are the last words that are recorded. He says, while I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die and am unprepared to die. That's what his last words were. Voltaire, the famous philosopher, anti-Christian atheist, he says this in his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will just give me six months more to live. Those were his last words. Famously, um, Joseph Stalin, his daughter writes in a memoir about her father and how he, at, at the end of his life on his deathbed, he was ultimately battling with God. And he's, he comes out of unconsciousness, he shakes his fist angry at the ceiling, and then he falls over and he's gone. My friends, there's something about death itself that starts to force you to think about what really matters. It forces you to think about the primary thing of life, the, what, what this is ultimately about, why we're here, and that is, for an atheist, death is the final battle that everyone will lose. But what's beautiful for a Christian, death is only the beginning. It's the gateway into eternal life, as the Bible teaches. So tonight, in Philippians chapter 3, I want to pull some text out for us so that we can investigate this, so we can focus on what, how do you discover the primary thing? What do you, how do you figure it out? What's, what is really all of this about? I love the testimonies that we heard from earlier. It's a fantastic job. Um, guys, life is much more than your degree. It's so much more than your career. But you see, as I said earlier, you don't have to wait till your deathbed to figure out what this is all about. You don't, don't wait till your deathbed moment to start asking that question, what's the primary thing? You don't have to wait that long because if you get in the scriptures, you can find out that we have a, a way we can die before we die. You want to hear about that? So Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 4, and if you have your Bibles, we got it on the screen as well, you can follow along. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Let's see here, let's see here. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. It says, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Let's pray tonight. Lord Jesus, we call upon your name and we ask you to speak to us, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and open our minds. Help us to receive from this word, this text tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody in the room said, Amen. Amen. Guys, the Apostle Paul is a fascinating figure. I cannot study his life and his words enough. He's actually the most quoted human being in history. Even more than Jesus, actually, people quote the Apostle Paul more because there's, there's more things that, we, that he says that we have to quote from. But he is laying down for us in this text that he is a guy who has been there. He's done it all. He's been there. He's done that. He would be the Bilbo Baggins that says, I was there and back again, right? That's the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I've done it all in terms of righteousness. I've done it all in terms of spiritual, religious success and credibility. And yet, Paul says, all of those things are worthless. He's making a gigantic claim, right? So he breaks down a little bit about his background. This is who the Apostle Paul is. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin. That's basically, he's like royalty. He, he is through it. He's like a royal line and a family in Israel, a real Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. A Pharisee, which means he's, he demanded strict obedience to the law. He was the guy that you would go to for advice for any situation at all. Anyone that's looking to get close to God, they would go to this man who was a Pharisee and a religious teacher, a religious leader. He says, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law to perfection. The Pharisees were known to be meticulously focusing on their holiness, on their works. Jesus even mocks some of them if you read through the New Testament. He says, you strain a gnat out of your water, but you'll swallow a camel. You know that's kind of crazy. Why does Jesus say that? Because before they pour their water into a cup to drink it, it's, it's unlawful to eat even an insect. It would make you unclean. They would strain that water so the gnat will not even accidentally fall in the cup. But Jesus says, but you're hypocrites. You'll swallow a camel. Just saying, you do all of these things, but you don't mean any of it in your hearts. Are y'all, is that making sense? So that's what Paul is admitting, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law to perfection. He says, I did the Bible school. I've done that. He says, I was born from cultural royalty. I lived my life perfectly, but he says, it was all garbage. It means nothing. Saying, guys, I was the megachurch pastor. I've been there. I've done that. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I was the college professor that had all the answers. I've been there. I've done that. But yet he says this, I have found it all to be nothing. What he is talking about is he's discovered the thing underneath the thing. He's discovered that primary thing, the meaning of life, which he says is to know Christ. 
to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So how is Paul able to say this? What, what gives him the credibility? Well, if you rewind, Paul used to be a guy named what? Anybody know what he used to be named? Saul. And he is on a trip to Damascus. He's on his horse and he has his, his you know, wonderful like servants that are leading him on this horse. And then, um, you know, he's viciously persecuting the church. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit slaps him in the face. He falls off of his horse on the ground, and he's, like, freaking out. The people that are with him pass out and faint. They're unconscious. And he hears God calling to him out of the clouds. I don't know about you, but I would be freaking out. And Paul is here laying in the dirt, and God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul at the time, his name at the time says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> Basically, what the heck is going on right now? And then God speaks out and says this, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Follow with me and with this, Chi Alpha. Paul, the Apostle Paul knew everything about God. He studied God meticulously. He followed him. He knew everything about God, but it's at this moment where he realizes what God's name is. He knew everything about God, but in this moment, he realizes that God's name is Jesus. Isn't that crazy? After the Damascus Road, you see, he didn't just know about God, he knew him personally. He didn't just know about him by studying about him. He knew actually who he was. My friends, it's a very humbling thing to be a Christian for many, many years of your life and one day realizing that you only know about God. You don't actually know him. Could you see him there? Could you see Paul realizing this? He has just got his butt knocked off his horse literally. <laughs> And he's there, and he realizes that the God that he loves, he's been persecuting that God. You see, friends, you can know all about Jesus. You can know everything about Jesus, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't actually know him. If you don't know actually, if you don't walk intimately with him in a real relationship. You see, Paul's teaching us here about the primary thing, to keep your eyes on what truly matters. When you go into the summertime, the, everyone that moves into the summertime, and, the, and you may be isolated, you may be back with family, you're separated from fellowship, maybe some of us here tonight are going to experience that in the summertime, you can guarantee you're going to stumble and you're going to struggle if you're not focusing on the primary thing, you see. Paul's teaching us how to keep our eyes on it. He says, I have found the infinite value of the universe, says Paul. I have attained Christ. Now, how do we know Christ? How do, we, how, how do we have that experience that Paul has? How do we change from just knowing about him to knowing who he is? Now, in verse 8 in Philippians, we read this, for his sake I have discarded everything, Paul says, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He says, this is, this is worth, I've discarded everything else. And this, I find as, as a Christian I found myself in, in this way. When I be became born again, I was raised in church. I had Christian parents, and, and um, you know, I used to say, like, I had a super terrible drug problem as a kid because they just would keep dr dragging me to, 
church every Sunday. It's, it's just awful. And, and, but then I had friends, and it was kind of awesome. Uh, and, and I learned that I had a fellowship in, in church, and, and I, learned, I, I learned all that. And, and I, I learned how to, when you, become, when you get born again, this is what happens. Jesus turns your whole world upside down. Anyone experience that? You, you get right with God, and he turns your whole world upside down. But then he, here's an even crazier thing. You start walking with Jesus, and your, your body and your soul starts to get reacclimated to the upside-downness of walking with God. Okay, And, and so you start to s- slowly feel like you're right-side up again. So you're walking faithfully with Jesus. You're learning about him. You're learning the scriptures. And then this is a crazy thing because you stop and you look back, and, and something marvelous happens in your soul because you realize, oh my gosh, um, I am not upside down. Jesus actually just turned me right side up. It's the world that's backwards. And as you slowly continue to walk with him and you start to be acclimated, your body starts to kind of figure out what it's like to walk with Jesus, you realize that you were upside down the whole time. Jesus just righted you back up. Amen? And guys, this is what you'll find. When, when you are acclimated and you realize Jesus just made my life normal, I actually was crazy back there, okay? What happens is discarding other things becomes an easy thing to do. Because you see, you, you found a better thing that satisfies you. And when you find the real thing, everything else that's trying to imitate the real thing, it just doesn't cut it. Another way to put it is this, guys. Once you've had real fire, you're never going to settle for smoke. Once you've experienced fire, you're never going to go back to that old thing. But you're never going to experience that fire unless you have the real thing. You're never, you're never going to experience that turned world upside down unless you're willing to know Jesus intimately rather than just knowing about him. You see, what did, you, what did Paul have to discard? He discarded his reputation. Has anyone here raised your hand if you, when you became born again and started walking with Jesus, you lost friends? Anybody? Anybody here? Okay, a lot of hands. You lose friends, and it's not what you want. It's not what you want. And, and sometimes, maybe your friends aren't even being jerks. You're just going down this pathway, and they're just going down another pathway. And it's the natural outworking of being born again. It's actually quite a natural thing. So, but, so you lay down your reputation. I was in high school, and I was walking with Jesus, and everybody made fun of me. I, my nickname was like that Jesus kid. Like, that was me. And uh, I was, like, preaching at the high school stuff. And, 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 I'm, and, I mean, you really wouldn't call it preaching, Charles. It was more like uh, embarrassment is really what I would call it. Um, it was not preaching. Um, but you, you lay these things down. You lay, so Paul lays down his status. He lays down his fame. He, these Pharisees were wealthy. Paul laid down his wealth. He became a prisoner for Christ. He laid down his reputation. And, and then, so this man who had it all, now Paul has nothing because he's lost everything, lost his reputation, lost his wealth. And he's saying, guys, I just received an upgrade. But Paul, you're in prison. Come on, bro. Like, quit lying to us. He's going, no, no, no. You don't understand. I would rather be in prison with Christ than be out of prison without him. What do we have to lay down in college? 
What, what kind of pride do we have to lay down when we're walking with Jesus in university? You may have to be willing, friends, to lay down your intelligence. I, I guarantee you, every single person in this room is smarter than me. I just guarantee it. I guarantee it. You, you, you go to Sam Houston State and you major in communication because you did not get into this university. That's, that's my life. That's what happened. So you guys really, really, you are really smart. You're brilliant. You're really intelligent. Now, how many understand in our culture today, we kind of get too smart for our own good? I mean, come on. We think we've conquered science and that we're rewriting all the rules of normal biology. Can, can I hear an amen? Does anyone understand what I'm saying? We, we as, as uh, I believe as Malcolm Muggeridge says, that we have educated ourselves into imbecility because we think we have gone so smart nowadays, right? So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, or I resolved, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's Paul saying? When I was with you, I chose to become an idiot. I chose to know nothing. Because nothing else matters save Christ and him crucified, says Paul. Another thing that we have to lay down is our culture. Sometimes it can be hard to realize we, like, we have an American culture. And we get really into this American culture, kind of like America, you know, like, yeah. Like, we, we, like we get really silly with this. Or maybe it's just me, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, we hear this in our culture today, do we not? We're just like, I was born this way. Right? Have you ever heard that before? Everybody has heard that before. I was born this way, which basically is a, is a fancy way of saying I'm unwilling to change. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So uh, what I'm saying here is culture can keep you from knowing God. Follow, following in line with culture can keep, it can keep you from actually knowing him. Because you're, you're just going to know about him if you're just following what just culture says, right? Now, uh, here's a challenge, and forgive me uh, for making this uh, joke, but... I challenge you to do this. Go into any coffee shop ever. The kind of coffee shop where girls love to post pictures of it on Instagram. Go to that one. Go to that coffee shop. It's awesome. I'm, it's cool. And, and, and eavesdrop on people. Just go there, sit in the back, and just eavesdrop. Eavesdrop on people's conversations, specifically girls' conversations. Okay, I'm not ragging on you, but just eavesdrop. And, uh, and don't get caught because you might get arrested. So be careful. Be careful when you do that. But here's what I want you to do. Start to open your ears on campus and around you how many times you hear people say these words. I feel. I feel. I feel. I feel like this and that. Okay, they're laughing, which means this is true. They're confirming the truthness I'm talking about right now because they're la you're laughing too, which means you agree. Okay, we're on the same page. Do you hear what I'm saying? I feel like this. It, hey, what do you think about uh, the next election? Well, I feel, do you see what I'm saying? It, so the question we had on the board today was awesome. It, it was a joke, but it was actually secretly brilliant. The, the question we had at Booth was, do you think? <laughs> That's it. That, that's it. That's the end of it. Do you think, question mark, okay? So that's actually a great question. 
do you ever think, or, so if you do, I mean, you had to think to sit down today. You had to think to walk into this room. You have to think to listen to what I'm saying. You have to think to walk up to the whiteboard and mark on a question that says, do you think? You have to think, right? Um, Now, here's the thing. If, If we need to be thinking, why do we always say, I feel? And guys, This is what's happening in our culture today. So modernism is, when you think of the enlightenment, when you think of modernism and you think of of all of like the the scientific method and you think of the advancement of science and technology, what, what came out of the enlightenment was, I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. That's modernism. Postmodernism comes after because it's post. And what we have now in a postmodern culture is if, you, if modernism is I think, therefore I am, postmodernism says I feel, therefore I am. Anyone see this in our time today? I feel like this, therefore I am this. Guys, and the Bible says this is a trap. Because if you lay down your thoughts, if you stop thinking and you only go by your feelings, guys, come on, you're, you're never going to stay on truth. You're never going to know truth because you're just going to be following what you feel. There's a, in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a man that, that it's, a, it's a direct allegory. So John, the, the character... And his name is Christian because he's the, he's the main character and he's Christian. And he would meet a man named Wisdom. And Wisdom would give him wisdom. And then he would meet another guy named Conviction. And then that person would like convict, you know, the main character. So you get the picture. It's an allegory. He meets a guy named Convincible. Now, why is that interesting? What is it like to meet a person that embodies Convincible? See, here's the thing about being Convincible. You can... Um, give your life to Jesus by being convincible, okay? But being convincible only gets you halfway. So Christian's hanging out with convince, convincible. He's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to run to the Z- city of light, Zion City. Would you want to come with me? And convincible's like, sure, sounds good. Why? Because he's convincible. So he's running with him, and he's going, and he's going, and he's going. And, and then they, they reach their first obstacle, and there's like a, something they have to climb over. And there's like this thing in front of them. And Christian's like, okay, how are we going to do this? And what does Convincible do? He changes his mind. And he's like, I'm not really about this. And he goes the other way. Because convin- being Convincible is only going to get you halfway. It's never going to get you through the summer. You see. Being Convincible is not good enough is what I'm saying. Now, you need to be convinced of Christ. You need, to be born again, you need to be convinced that Jesus is Lord. Irrevocably convinced. But if you are just convincible, and you can be convinced of believing him, you can easily be convinced out. And I've heard it said this way, if you can be talked out of being a Christian, you never were one. You see. So, what am I saying tonight? In our culture that is so enraptured with I feel, I feel like this, I feel like that, it's crazy. You're going to see it and you're going to laugh. You're like, huh, that, that preacher from the valley, oh my gosh, I have said the words I feel 18 times today. And so, so someone's going to come up to you and say, what do you think about? And you'll, res- you'll hear them respond, well, I feel because in our culture we worship feelings. But as a Christian, what we do is we discard these things. 
you have to be willing to discard your feelings sometimes to follow Christ. Now, feelings guide, they can give you indicators of what's true, but feelings do not equal truth. They just point, they can point you. If you get angry, it means something happened. If you feel anger, emotion, that means something happened, but that's why the Bible doesn't say anger is a sin. Being angry is not a sin. It says, in your anger, do not sin, right? So we need to be people that think. Can we do that tonight, Chi Alpha? We need to be people that think. So um, if you've ever, if you have, think about this, if you've never discarded something, if you've never discarded reputation or discarded your time for the sake of Christ, I want to tell you tonight, you might not have had that moment where you actually know Christ. You might just know about him. You're never going to know him unless you've got all these things that you're just willing to discard. My reputation, my money, my time, maybe my major, maybe my future career, maybe my dreams I have for my life are just not the dreams that God has. So let's continue on. The Apostle Paul says another thing, and he says, I become righteous. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. So F.W. Borum has, uh, it tells an amazing story about a, a atheist doctor who is on his deathbed. Dr. Blund is his name. He's on his deathbed. He lived a life of absolute sin and debauchery. He was an awful, awful guy. Now, on, now he's on his deathbed. Um, he's having his moment, and he's crying out for a minister. He's going, I need someone to lead me to God. I don't have no idea how. Now is the time. I need to get, I need to, I need, I need a minister. So they bring, there's two ministers. There's a young, immature minister who's very new into, into preaching and very new into ministry, and he's never led a, a person to Christ on their deathbed. So he's having his first time, goes in the hospital, and he's trying very hard to articulate the gospel, and he just blunders the whole thing. He does a terrible job. And, and this atheist doctor laying on the bed is angry. He's like, do you even know what you're saying? Dude, that would be awful. It would be so awful. Now, do you even, he goes, isn't the Bible say something about being born again? And he's like, yes, the Bible says about, and he fumbles through his words. He doesn't get the right words out. And the guy goes, do you even know how to be born again? And the minister just gives up in shame. He says, I'm going to get someone else. He runs away and is bawling because I just failed this man. So they get another gentleman, uh, an older, wiser uh, minister of the faith, and he goes in and he leads this man to Christ before he passes away. But this younger minister is just wrestling. He's wrestling. He's like, what have I done? Like, what, what do I even believe? This is like a bad crisis that's going on in his life. And he's sitting down next to a woman that he's in love with that he's later going to marry. And he's, he's talking to her, and he's asking her, like, and he's wrestling. He goes, do you think that one deathbed repentance can atone for a whole life of sin? He asks her this question. And she speaks with utter wisdom. So do you think one deathbed, one deathbed conversion or ex repentance atones for a whole life of debauchery and sin? And she answers, no, with assurance. She says, but Calvary can. Because it's the power of the cross of Calvary which undoes all sin. 
It's, as the hymn writer says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. My friends, in our Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat culture, nobody communicates. Instead, we anticipate. Nobody communicates anymore. Instead, what you do is you anticipate. And you know what I'm talking about. You say that thing on Facebook, that political opinion, right? And then that other person, this person responds or, or sends you a DM. And then you, you kind of get in a fight, right? You get, a, you get in a keyboard internet battle. And you're like, you know, like, you know, you're angry and you're fighting and you're battling. But, but see, at that point, communication fails because what you're doing, what, and we all have done this, is you're just anticipating what they're fixing to say. So he's going to say this, and then I'm going to say this. And, ooh, I'm going to get him, right? And then he's going to say that, and then I'm going to say this, and, ooh, I'm going to get him. And you're trying to play like chess in your mind with words, right? And everyone's like, no, don't look at me. No, no, I've never done this. I think we've all done it at least one point. We anticipate. We don't even really, but here's the thing. When you speak to people like that where you say something in order to elicit a particular response so that you can then counterattack. You know what that's called? Manipulation. It's called being manipulative because you're trying to pull something out of them that you can use to fire back at them. But see, the Bible, see many people try to do this with God. We say, God, I'm going to give you this part of my life as long as I can get this thing back. But the Bible says God cannot be mocked. And, and sometimes we try to turn God into a veritable vending machine. We put in our coin of obedience. We put in our, our time or something. And, and it's not because we want to know Christ. It's because we're just wanting to click the button and get something out of him. But you see, friends, you're never going to know him that way. You're only going to know about him. You're with me tonight, guys. We have to, to know Christ means to trust him. Means to trust, trust him. Last thing, he says in, in this passage we just read, he says these wonderful, incredible words, simple words. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. This is a man that had everything. He had all of the fame and fortune you could ever ask for. And he says, I would rather suffer with Christ. I prefer it. So that one way or another, he says, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. One of the most amazing stories in the Gospels is a man named Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus? Jesus shows up late. By the way, I just want to let you know, it's not always a sin to show up late. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But uh, um, and I was making a joke to Nathan because in our Chi Alpha, we never start at 7.30. We start at like 7.40. It's just, it's just a funny thing. Campus pastors joke about it all the time. Um, but Jesus shows up late. And Martha is angry and sad and grieving because her cousin Lazarus is dead. And you know what she says to Jesus? She says, if you were just here sooner, then my my cousin would not be dead. If you were just here sooner. And you know what Jesus says, those magnificent words that's only found in this one spot in the gospel. We would never have had these words unless Martha asked that question. Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. 
and watch, basically, watch what I'm going to, and then he says, Lazarus, come out of that grave. And I love the old preacher, how he says it, this, this, this uh, illustration like this. Could, could you ever wonder being there and watching Lazarus walk out of his tomb? And, and it's actually hilarious because they're like, but he's going to smell bad. That's literally what the Bible says. It's, it's hilarious. It's just like so normal. It's exactly what some of you I know. I'm looking at you. You would have said that. Um, maybe I would too. Uh, Laz- so Lazarus comes out. Have you ever wondered, as the, this old preacher used to say, have you ever wondered what it would take to threaten Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? Think about it. How do you threaten Lazarus when he was dead and now he's alive? You're like, Lazarus, you better watch out. Don't preach that gospel. I'm going to kill you. And Lazarus like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? No, I'm serious, Lazarus. Don't you do it. Don't you preach that gospel because we're going to come after you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do terrible, terrible things. We're going to kill you. And Lazarus just keeps laughing harder and harder and harder. It's no, there's nothing you can do to threaten a man. And so at some point, Lazarus is going to be keeling over in laughter, uncontrollably saying, haven't you heard? Death is dead. Death is dead. How do you threaten a man who's been dead and he's seen the face of the man that's going to let him out? How do you threaten that man? You can't. Do you know why? Because he knows him. He knows him. He knows the man that's going to be there when he gets out. When you die, you're going to wake up somewhere. And that face you're going to want to see is him. You're going to want to see him. I'm going to ask the band to return. I'm going to close with this. I, I've quoted Boren before. I, he's one of my absolute favorite authors of all time. I'm going to share another, another thing that Boren says um, in, in an essay titled The Uttermost Star. And those of you, anyone watched the rocket blow up? And um, I love that stuff. I think it's awesome. And, and my friend and I are nerds. And actually, we live in like right down the road from Brownsville where, where Elon Musk launches his rockets. So, so we, we came up here and we missed it, but we totally would have been there. We would have been like, oh, we would have like been stupid, I'm sure. We would have done something stupid. But um, imagine this with me tonight, Chi Alpha. The universe, well, they say it's like 13 point something billion light years wide. And obviously that's just speculation. Nobody knows, okay? But just let's imagine together tonight. The furthest point in the universe, the, as Borm says, the uttermost star, God, if he wanted, could stand on top of that star, he can be floating out there in space in the furthest reaches of never-ending space-time. And God could stand in that uttermost star, and he probably does. And what he does out there is he can look through a telescope that you and I could never imagine. And he zooms in across the expanse in the sea of stars to our little solar system. And there's a little blue planet that he sees. And he can zoom in even farther, you see. He, he, from that distance away, he can zoom in and he sees our planet. He zooms in even further and he sees West Virginia. And then if he wanted, and he does, he can zoom even further 
and he sees you. From that distance away, he sees you. The Bible says that he knows your innermost parts. He says that, the Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He sees you from unfathomable distances, but yet at the same time, he's close. Isn't that amazing? That he can be, he's, he, he's that big, is what we would say. He's that big, he can zoom in so far, and he can see you, and he can be, he can be so close. But you, so here's the thing, guys. If we're going to literally try to reach God, imagine Elon Musk trying to build a rocket that's going to reach the uttermost star. 13.8 billion light years. This is not 75 miles an hour on the highway, okay? Like humanity and all of our incredible technology, we cannot even get to Mars. Not, we, we maybe will send people there to die, but if that, that is if they don't get microwaved on the way there because no one really, not a lot of people talk about, there's, it's actually radiation that's going to kill you. It's not, you, you know, like just the distance alone, it will take a year to get to Mars. Anyone, any nerd know what I'm talking about? Because I'm, I'm that nerd. It's really fun. Yeah. Like, it's like ridiculous. My point is this. In all of, in, you could add 5,000 years to human life. We would not even come close to the uttermost star. Not, not, we would never even exit our solar system. My point is, mankind, in all of our efforts, it's a frail puny effort to try to physically reach God. It's never going to happen. But, you know the beauty of the gospel? Is you don't have to travel that distance. You don't have to go all of that way. Because God himself traveled the sea of stars himself, and he brought himself to you. That's how far he went can you see him doing that? Can you see him there just surfing in the billions of light years? And he, he doesn't come in force. Jesus comes to this earth as a baby. He comes through the back door, as it were, around the corner, secretly, so to speak. And he starts to make himself known when he's 30 years old. Guys, you're never going to know God on your own. But you see, he traveled the expanse so that you could know him. Let's stand tonight as we close. What am I saying tonight, friends? What you can do in this room right now, tonight, is you can know Christ right now you can know Christ now not just about him not just interesting facts you can actually know him and when you know him he's going to turn your world upside down and then as you walk with him you realize that you finally have been right, right side up because you met him you can know Christ and this is what I want to say tonight is we have a lot of things we do in Chi Alpha, and they're wonderful. We have discipleship. We have summer Chi Alpha coming up, guys. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for you guys. It's going to be incredible stories. 
You're going to thrive. The prayer is that we're going to thrive in the summertime and, and not just limp along until we can get back into fellowship. Guys, that's a fail. That's a failure. But this is how you pass this test. Is you could be the most isolated person in the world, but if you know him, you realize the secret Paul's teaching us tonight is discipleship, though it's wonderful, the reason we have discipleship is so that you can know him. See, the fellowship is incredible. You're not going to survive without fellowship. You're never, you're never going to make it without Christian fellowship. We need Christian fellowship. But you see, why do we have Christian fellowship? So that you can know him. That's the point of it all. You see what Paul's saying here? I've found the secret. It's to know him. All of these things that we do that are good are so that we can actually know him. Learning about the Bible, increasing your knowledge about God, that's wonderful. It's incredible. It's great. But why do you do it? So that you can know him. You search out more spiritual authority in your life. Why? Not so that you can have power but so that you can know Christ more intimately. He's greater than all the pleasures. Guys, he's the primary thing. Christ is that primary thing that we need. But you know what? You don't have to wait till your deathbed to figure it out. You can die tonight. (laughs) Amen? You can experience a death before you die. And that's what all this is all about. You might, be, you might have been walking with Jesus for years. You might be a small group leader and you've been making disciples. But you know what? We have another night where we get to die to self so that we can move past this elementary stage of knowing about him and actually know him. What I want to do tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd like to do this. This is how I want to delegate our response time together. No one looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Be honest with me tonight. If you're here and you would say, Daniel, I'm actually concerned. I'm concerned about my spiritual future because I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to pass this summer of walking with Jesus. I'm nervous. I don't trust myself I don't know if I'm going to do really well without fellowship. And I need prayer. I need courage. I need what you're talking about tonight. I I need to go deeper and to know Christ intimately. If, If that's you, would you be so bold and say, Daniel, that's me. Raise your hand up high. I'm nervous. I need prayer tonight. Raise your hands up high. I'll see you. Amen. I see your hands. Amen. Hands up all around. Amen. I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Tonight, we're going to, we're just going to endure a spiritual death because the Bible says that when you die to self, you actually are given life. And I'm not saying you're here and that you and you're raising your hand and you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that tonight, don't pass up this moment. You can die before you die again and you can death to self. You can have that moment right now. And as the worship team begins to play, as they begin to worship, will you just give your heart utterly unto him and know that that fact that Jesus passed the unbelievable expanse of stars so that you and I could be friends with God again. That's what he did for you. As the worship team begins to pray, can, play, can you just meditate on that? 
and give yourself. Say, Jesus, I discard my reputation. I discard my future plans. I discard my wealth. I throw all of these things away so that I can be resurrected again with you. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray over my friends tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to discard anything that keeps us in that first spot where we're just knowing about you, Lord? Could we pass that moment tonight like never before? Even if we've been walking with you for years, Lord, could we break through that wall and move into a deeper knowledge of knowing you, the true you, who you really are, Lord Jesus. I pray in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus that every person here, the Holy Spirit, you would just rest your hand gently on their hearts and that you would show them who you are, that you traveled the infinite time, space-time, so that we could know you. Let's worship him tonight, guys.